Hi, and welcome to uh, Live from America podcast. Uh, this is uh, Hatem, uh, along with Noam Dorman, the owner of the legendary comedy cellar. Uh, hello, sir. And uh, also comedians, very funny, Karen Margolis. Uh, and we have a very special episode tonight. We're going to go all the way to Jerusalem. And we have two special guests. Uh, Alisa Mayer Epstein, she moved to Israel when, uh, with her family at the age of 13 and has an MA in education from Harvard University and Master of Cultural Resource <clears throat> Management from York University in the UK. Uh, she worked as a tour guide uh, and served as a volunteer coordinator for the Good Neighbors Project in the past six years. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. And the, the man that made all this happen, uh, David Mayer Epstein. Uh, he is the elected representative of Abu Tour and North uh, Talabiot. Is that right? Talbiot, yeah. Talbiot, yeah, I said it right. It's like Talbiot. Um, <laughs> uh, to the board of the Community Council uh, of Greater Bekaa, a social planner. And uh, he moved to Israel uh, some 40 years ago and served as a director of professional training and resource development for Israeli startups. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, actually, um, I uh, am a bit uh, schizophrenic in my neighborhood. I'm not really sure what my name is. Uh, I was born. I was born David, and uh, I adopted Dave. Uh, as a uh, shortstop in Little League, I was called Pee Wee um, and Epi. Um, in Israel, um, I've been here for 40 years, and they, they say, uh, uh, hi, what's your name? And I say, David. And they say, oh, David, because of my accent. I think I'm going to be considered a new immigrant until the day of my death. And in uh, the last 13 years, I've lived here on Asa El Street in Abu Tor. And on the other side of the street are Palestinians. Yeah, can you explain the significance of, of that street where you live? Because it's very, very... Yeah but, yeah, but first I want to finish and tell you that uh, uh, on my street I'm called Dahoud. Or Dahoud. 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 Dahoud, yeah. Um, our street is the green line. That is... It was between 1948 and 1967, no man's land. It, the border was between Jordan, which was in East Jerusalem and occupied the old city and East Jerusalem, and West Jerusalem or Israel between 1948 and 1967. And in 67, the borders came down. There was a kind of a romantic um, period of time where people kind of explored each other and each other's territories. And then for the past 30 plus years, there hasn't been a border in a physical one, but there has been uh, a virtual uh, because of the intifadas. Mm. So uh, can you tell us about the, uh, first of all, if anybody want to more uh, about the Epstein family, you should uh, watch um, the documentary. There's no place like home. It's about the Epstein family. I was uh, aired in Israel Channel 2. Is it available on YouTube? 
Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and if, you, if you Google uh, a, the Epstein family documentary, yeah, uh, you'll uh, you'll uh, get it. Okay. Uh, and uh, Lisa, how can you tell us a little bit about the uh, Good Neighbor project? Um, yes. Uh, after we moved here, uh, we got to know some of the Palestinian flat families on the street. Also, we got to know the Jewish families. Aren't too many. And um, both of us who grew up uh, in our youth in, in the United States, and we were used to interacting with people with all backgrounds, we had no um, reservations or no unnatural feelings into interacting with our neighbors on just the level of, you know, uh, families who are spending time with their children, want to have a good uh, education for them, uh, celebrate family events, uh, want to have a good living, make a good living. So we were just uh, interacting with them on a very normal, uh, in a way that in another country would be considered very day-to-day, uh, -day, very un nothing unusual about it. But here it's considered very, very outstanding. There's a big separation between Jews and uh, Muslims in Israel, in the uh, borders of Israel and more so between uh, Jews and Muslims who live outside the uh, borders of Israel from 1948, which we refer to as the Green Line. At some point uh, after David took upon himself the volunteer um, position of being a representative of our neighborhood to the local community council, he started gathering together uh, different people from the neighborhood, uh, Jews and Palestinians, and asking them what they would like to improve in the neighborhood. And everybody had all kinds of ideas. And then after the separate groups, we started having mixed groups. And I was particularly interested in what was going on with the women. And the women expressed a very, very strong need to study Hebrew. <coughs> Until the separation a uh, wall um, came up, what they call the uh, security fence or whatever they call it, uh, which is about um, 15 years ago. Um, most Palestinian women spent their time, whether it was going shopping or being educated or uh, going to the doctor in the East Jerusalem or in Ramallah or in um, um, uh, Bethlehem. In other words, they didn't need Hebrew in order to um, interact on an everyday basis. But all of a sudden, after the wall went up, the security wall went up, they turned about and started becoming more and more involved in Israeli society. Now the men, and some, particularly the young men, but also older men who were even retired, they, um, had they had learned Hebrew on the job because a lot of them worked in the Israeli sector. The women were either at home or in um, very, uh, they're very traditional, they're very guarded, they're very conservative, not in the outside world where they would come in contact with Hebrew. So I spoke to a neighbor of mine, a young woman who was about 23 at the time, 
And I said to her, uh, do you know any uh, women in the neighborhood who would like to study Hebrew? She said, oh yeah, I'll bring a few. So we had a meeting, about eight women came and they were very enthusiastic. And everybody told that they would, said that they would uh, tell their relatives and their friends and their whole uh, hamula, their whole clan. And we uh, got a few volunteers together from the Jewish population in Abu Tor. And when we opened the course, a few weeks later, 30 people started coming in the doors and we were like in shock. Mm. And uh, this was the beginning of our Hebrew courses. And then slowly we developed other initiatives in the Good Neighbors Project. Um, soccer teams for boys and youth, uh, Palestinian and Jewish. Um, we had a women's group for a while. We have an organic garden. We have an economic project now, which we might talk about at length later. We have um, different community events. And we started a parallel course for Israeli Jews who wanted to learn Arabic. <laughs> and that's been going for a few years. And then finally, we started something that's been highly successful and people have come from all over town which we call the Language Exchange Cafe, where everybody comes with the language they're learning, Hebrew or Arabic, and sits in the group or with a partner and practices. And that's a really, really good tool, both to learn the language and to um, hear about the culture and the lives of the people on the other side of the fence. So that's the Good Neighbors Project today. Uh, we've had some highlights. For example, we were invited to the Israeli parliament and to the Knesset, to the um, Committee of Education and Culture to prevent, present our project. Uh, we were visited by the mayor and we presented the project. In other words, um, that's part of our goal, to uh, produce a model that could be replicated in different situations and indeed we're very proud to say that in recent years parts of our project have been replicated particularly in Jerusalem uh, and particularly the language aspect of our project but not only as uh, presenting some kind of model of people living together in uh, civil society not so much uh, re regarding politics because Whatever happens, for example, in Jerusalem, we'll still be living next to each other. We'll still be wanting to live as good neighbors, hence mm. the title of the project. Yeah, I hope I can learn something from this year. She refused to date Arabic guys. <laughs> Who? Who? Karen, Karen. Prove me well, wrong, Karen, right now. Well, everybody knows that in that conservative society, there are issues between men and women that, um, that we can consider issues and they consider uh, the normal way of interacting and they're not what we're used to, you know. Well, it's not, you don't have to be conservative in that society to have pretty conservative views about who it's okay to date, right? Uh -huh. My uh -huh. family is Israeli. I was born in Israel but raised here and my parents are Israeli. So yeah, it would be a situation if I brought home. Now, keep like they don't have a veto in who I date. That's my business, but yeah, it would be it would be a whole thing if I brought home Hatem, for example, who still refuses to date me. <laughs> but you, you you brought others 
It like that, wait, that, that I was talking about the Palestinians. I see you're talking about Israel in general. So yeah. I'd like to say, Karen, that um, not myself, because I grew up in Israel, but my relatives who live in the States, women my age, when we were young, if we dated a non-Jew, doesn't matter whether they were Catholic or Protestant or Muslim or Buddhist, that was not acceptable in the Jewish community. Yeah, so I've exclusively dated non-Jews. <laughs> there you go. Pretty <laughs> popular with my parents. No, they have come to accept it. Um, they're really pushy, so they have a new trick now, which is to like push me really hard to join like American Jewish networking groups, and they're very frustrated by the pandemic because I can't get out there and meet Jews, which um is okay by me, but they're like really, um, my sister just moved in with a goy. So she's kind of like settling in that direction. So I'm the last hope of the whole family. I have a story about that in 1969, which is before all of you were born. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I was in Israel in my junior year from Brandeis. And uh, the last week of our uh, trip was a week on a kibbutz. And uh, I uh, hooked up with a, a girl on the kibbutz, and her name was Karen, interestingly enough. And, and our generation hooked up doesn't mean what it means in your generation. <laughs> right, right, right. She was in 12th grade, and I was a junior in college. Okay. But... Um, uh, anyway, I, uh, at the last day, she gave me a, a picture to take home. And her, the picture on the back of it, it said, Le David Be'ahava, to David with love, Karen Flanagan. <laughs> her, her father was a British soldier who stayed after the war and married a, an Israeli woman. And they were living on the kibbutz. So I wrote home to my mother and I said, Mom, you sent me to Israel and I found Karen Flanagan. <laughs> 30 years later, we were, Lisa and I were driving past that same kibbutz. Mm -hmm. I said, let's go in. We went in. I said, is there somebody on the kibbutz named Karen Flanagan? They said, oh, Karen Flanagan, she left the kibbutz a long time ago, but her sister lives here. Talked to her sister. She gave me her number. I called her in Kfar Saba. I said, I'm David. We were together uh, back in 1969, and you gave me your picture. And she says, I have four kids, four grandchildren. And she, and, and she said, but I don't remember you. <laughs> she had a draw full of pictures each week she gave one to another volunteer <laughs> anyway we have here a situation where some of the um, men will not allow their wives or their daughters to participate in a Hebrew class with other the other gender um, that's a right. problem from the Palestinian side correct Yes. Right, right, right. Uh -huh. So I've, I've uh, very uh, um, generously volunteered to be the teacher. <laughs> okay, that's great. No, no more. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, no, what did you want to say? No, I'm just, I'm just curious about the, you know, where, where everybody stands on the political situation. I, I, who could argue with 
outreaches to you know be good neighbors and to in 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 the midst of um, anger and turmoil to try to find ways to as humans to bond and, and all that. But there is, I think, always a, a danger in, in, in human beings that to take the status quo for granted, the status quo, which is allowing them to do certain things. So for instance, in New York right now, we're realizing that all of a sudden when uh, everything's going left with criminals, uh, you know, crime is coming back and all this stuff, uh, we, we begin to realize that uh, everything, whatever faults we had with what had been going on in New York in terms of overzealous uh, policing and all that stuff, um, uh, it, it could also unravel. It was also responsible for, for a certain kind of stability that we had. And, and we see this uh, similarly with um, people complaining about capitalism from their iPhones and, you know, <laughs> all the stuff that they, that they have in order to, to distribute their complaints about capitalism across the world. So, so in, in these things in Israel, I wonder to what extent you, uh, what, what your political points of view are in terms of what is keeping the stability there now? What would it be like? If, what policies would you favor? What would you do? I guess the question is what, if you guys were in charge of the, the country, if you were prime minister, what would your policies be? How would you get towards peace? And by the way, just let me know, you, you're in favor of two state solutions or you're not, you're not fully on the left or one state solution? I'm, I'm in favor of three states, actually as many as possible. Mm-hmm. No, actually, um, <laughs> a, we, our, our project is very interesting. We find ourselves kind of right under the radar, which is where we kind of think we need to be. Um, what we are not is a dialogue project. Most coexistence projects in Israel are people come together for a day, for a weekend, for a week, for a program, for a year, and then they go home. And the hope is that they were influenced and that they'll do something, uh, you know, the butterfly effect. We come together and we are home, meaning we are creating community, shared community. So we're not doing it in order to understand each other or to understand each other's narratives or to reach a political situation. We call our project non-political, meaning non-party political. It's neither left nor right. The left likes it because we're very much into uh, uh, shared community, shared responsibility, equality. Our project brings people together from both sides to promote their common interest, not to understand each other. And we've gone together against the uh, the the developers who want to build huge, you know, uh, um, uh, towers uh, in our neighborhood, and Palestinians and um, uh, and Israelis together have gone to the city to our district planning committee and have um, objected together. So we are creating opportunities to be on the same side. So it looks like you're favoring a one state in a way. Uh, I believe that 
a two-state solution is the, the right thing for having each community be able to live its values, its culture, its history, but we don't want to see the border uh, separate us. We want to remain uh, neighbors. We want to remain um, uh, together at the grassroots level. Elisa, what, 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 do, you, what do you think? One I've state, two states. Been, I've always been in favor of a two-state solution. Um, I feel that's the only way that people couldn't express their national identity and build the type of society that um, fulfills their values and the way they want to um, educate their children and build their future. I'm not sure it will happen. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we can't tell, but um, I feel that um, one of the basic issues now, um, since politics isn't moving anywhere, they like the big politics, the political um, agreements and whatever would come, the withdrawals and the making new, new boundaries. I think one of the very important things now is the, uh, the civil rights of both um, Palestinians living in Israel and Palestinians living in Jerusalem who um, are citizens of the city but are not citizens of the country. They have a special identity which is very unusual and very, very um, problematic. They um, um, can vote for the municipality, but they can't vote for the national elections. They have certain rights that Israelis have and, and other rights they don't have. So one of the um, big issues now that um, are, are important to me and other activists in the city is to create more uh, equality, better access, uh, more um, uh, cultural compatibility of different um, organizations and authorities for the Palestinian uh, residents of Jerusalem. If they go to a hospital, if they go to a government office, if they go to a workplace or a school, uh, so there's been a lot done in the last few years, but there's a tremendous amount more to do. If it's as basic as signage in, uh, in Arabic, or when the first uh, information came out about uh, COVID-19. So in, we have an, a roof organization of different activist organizations. We were pressuring all the different authorities to put out the same information that they put out in Hebrew and Arabic as well. So the Palestinian residents of Jerusalem wouldn't be at a loss of how to handle this uh, new situation. I, I want to I bring up the issue that Noam uh, brought up because first of all, while both of us come from America, we feel very far from what you are going through. Even though we are all living together in this global world and we're all both in COVID and everything, but, but um, our issues uh, are, are, are different. For example, the Palestinians um, uh, who um, uh, are more uh, uh, radicalized um, say 
uh, to some of the neighbors, um, you should not be doing this good neighbors thing, it's normalization. And our activists have turned around to them and said, look, this isn't normalization. This is us trying to do better for our children, for our families, for our income, and, 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 and step back here. Um, so that was actually quite brave on their part because there have been, in other instances, times when people have been, uh, uh, you know, retribution has been taken. Let, let, let me I, ask you this. If, wait, 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 wait. So let, let just let, let fin finish your point because I want to ask you something. So I wanted to go to the fact that we have been, that the project has been in operation for six years. About three years into it, we had something called the knife intifada. And all of a sudden, there were people being stabbed um, left and right, and there were uh, closures and demonstrations, and it was very, very tense. Our project continued. Our project continued. And uh, I'll give you another kind of little anecdote, uh, anecdotal uh, um, uh, result of what we've done that was not, you can't write it down as a project. So outside our street, a 10-year-old kid from the Palestinian side threw a tennis ball that almost hit our upstairs neighbor in the head. She was hanging laundry on her porch. And she's from Kurdistan, okay? And her first reaction was, I am calling the police. If she had called the police, the police would have come. They would have gathered all the kids. They would have struck terror. They would have demanded who did it. And it would have been a traumatic experience. But before she called the police, she remembered that we had this project. So she called us downstairs and I went across the street and the, and the father said, well, you know, we'll figure out who it is and we'll have the person come and, 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 and apologize. He was, you know, absolutely angry. I said, do not, you know, no violence against your kid, you know, make, and the upstairs neighbor, you know, was satisfied. And all of a sudden, because of what we had been doing, I think we probably prevented what could have been a traumatic experience for a bunch of kids and could have um, sowed seeds of hate. Well, let me just say, I, I, you know, I, I really support what you're doing. And despite the, the kumbaya presentation, I think you're doing it uh, at, at some level of personal risk to yourself as well, which you're not talking about. And I, and I admire that greatly we i mean you know it, it if people if people object to palestinians who are making nice with you as it were um then in, in when the shit hits the fan next uh you might god forbid be somebody they they would want to target but um I, this originally came because i read an article um by, by an israeli soldier i can't remember his name who, who opposed the occupation i wanted to get him on and somehow that led us to you guys and, and I was very curious about how he saw opposing the occupation in, in practical terms, but the truthfully, I'm kind of reluctant to, to, to focus on that now or to kind of debate you on it because I don't want to put you in a position of having to say things, you know, that, that your, your, your friendly neighbors, Palestinian neighbors would regard as political when I think the key to what you're doing is that you you're, you stay out of the politics and just be person to person, which I think is 
is wonderful. So I'm, I'm almost reluctant to, to, to press anything political with you. So, you know, there, I'll give you something political that is like the Palestinians shooting themselves in the, in the foot. Okay. Elisa said that Palestinians can vote in the city, but not in the, for the national election. If the Palestinians in Jerusalem voted for a Palestinian city councilor, right, they would have probably about 25 or 30 percent of the city councilors, and they would have a huge amount of influence. They would have resources, but that's normalization, right? So the, a very, very small percentage of the Palestinians vote. Now I'll give you another thing. You think that I'm totally um, altruistic and and uh, kumbaya and so on. I play the guitar, and if you you know if you, if you press me, I'll bring it out, and uh, we can I sing kumbaya. You know, from the '60s, right? Um, and I, if I had a hammer and everything like that. But um, uh, the fact is that um, I'm really pleased that most of Israeli society is so racist that my apartment here, which is gorgeous, right? I paid $100,000 less for it than I would have <laughs> if it was 500 feet uh, in the opposite direction. Don't talk about that. Our enemies will say it was a Jew who had an angle all along. There <laughs> you go. There you go. <laughs> so let, let, me, let me ask you this and feel free not to answer if you want to. Uh, if you, what do you think, honestly, if it was the opposite situation? If there were Palestinians in charge of everything and the Israeli are the minority that they cannot vote on anything, you think somebody will do the same organization that you're doing right now? Don't, don't answer that. I hope so. <laughs> I, let me put it this way. Uh, um, a, the vast majority, both of Palestinians and Israelis, hold stereotypes mm -hmm. and they are for them real that is the truth that is what they know that is what they're convinced about okay the jews are the are are, are uh, uh, um, in control they are mean they uh, um, uh, uh, they uh, uh, are cruel and and um uh, These words are magic to my ears. Everything, <laughs> everything. And the Arabs, Arabs are terrorists and they just, you know, you can't trust them and you turn your back, they're going to stab you. And, um, uh, you know, so the vast majority of people hold these stereotypes to one degree or another. The funny thing is, and this is supposed to be comedy, isn't it? The funny thing is, the funny thing is, that as soon as people meet each other, they realize they're human beings. They realize that they're nice guys, that yeah. they're that they're warm, that they have something to talk to you about and contribute. And then something very interesting happens. They say, "Okay, he's a good Jew. Okay, he's a good Arab, yeah. but don't confuse me with my stereotype. I still, you know, kind of feel that." They're all against us. So the, the bottom line here is the more we can get people to be in touch with each other, but not on a kubaya basis, not to sit around and hold hands and sing, but to have meaningful interactions that will actually 
further their interests, that will help them get jobs, that will help their kids become better players, that will network them, that will uh, enable people to have better lives, that will change that will that will have the streets lighted and clean the garbage better and uh and renovate the soccer field you know it's Those funny he said he said that but, because because i always i always argue that here in the u.s when israeli and palestinian or abs in general they come in they work together you know norm owns a big club and restaurants and a lot of the employees are arabic including myself i used to work there you know and they just have no problem either side you know the problem always happens when they're, when they're there, you know, for some I'd reason. I'd like to also point out that um, many people who are not in Israel don't realize that Jerusalem is a very different reality than the rest of the country and the rest of the West Bank. The dynamic here is different. The people operate different. And the people know what they want here. And um, it's very important that... Um, you understand that what's going on in Jerusalem um, is not always, the, the Jerusalem society is not always connected to the big, bigger politics of the rest of Israel and the rest of the West Bank or the territories or whatever people want to call it, or Palestine. And um, that's, that's the framework within which we are operating. I'm not saying that this model or this framework would work any other place uh, besides Jerusalem, uh, whether it would work in Palestine or would work in the Galilee uh, within Israel's borders. But it's very, very specific for what's going on in Jerusalem. And there are many things that are going on in Jerusalem that are not happening other places and that would be um, appropriate in other places. But here there's a very, very particular reality and even the politicians, the politicians in the Middle East on both sides don't really, who are not in Jerusalem, don't really understand that. And that's a problem that many people uh, speak about here amongst activists on both sides. For example, the Palestinian activists are very interested in creating um, a leadership in Jerusalem because the Palestinian leadership uh, has disappeared over the last decades. And that's something that nobody else talks about and nobody else cares about. But there are many programs now to encourage young leadership and to get the uh, slightly older adults active in the community. And there's um, uh, efforts to create um, different civil opportunities to support different populations. Jerusalem is very, very different, I think, than people imagine it is. And its relationship to the bigger politics and the bigger questions of Israel and Palestine is, is very different and very specific. So let me ask you a couple of questions. If you wanted to bring on this show um, one of your Palestinian friends, yes, you think they would come on it? Oh yes, yes. We had we had somebody. By the way, by the way, um, I am not. I don't feel that I'm in personal danger, as. You, I think it was Noam, you said, I don't feel that there's something I can't say or something that I can't express that other people would hear it. It would put me in an uncomfortable position. I, I do not feel that at all. Okay. Um, 
that may be the way it looks from the United States, but that's really not the way it is. <laughs> okay, I, I don't want to take any chances with, with um, you know, your safety because you described the knife intifada and people pressuring Palestinians to, uh, to, to, to not be friendly with you. Um, well, I mean, so why, why, why don't we have a Palestinian on uh, what happened? Well, I, I, first of all, we were supposed to. Yeah. Um, Khaled Rishik, uh, who lives across the street, um, uh, works at the YMCA, um, and uh, uh, he uh, works with the youth there. Uh, among their programs is a international uh, chorus called the Jerusalem Youth Chorus that our daughter participated in for three years, and they fly all over the world, or they flew all over the world before COVID, um, singing together and dialoguing uh, together. Um, a, but uh, uh, I think that there is a degree of, uh, of concern. When we take pictures, for example, for PR on our Facebook page, by the way, go to Facebook, Good Neighbors Abu Tor Atori. Good Neighbors Abu Tor Atori. Um, and uh, like it. Um, a, so uh, when we take pictures, we have to ask each person whether they're comfortable having their picture appear because there's always that thought that maybe the wrong person is going to see it and take and have, have something. So we do tread. And when I say under the radar slightly, so we're under the, the radar uh, slightly. Uh, we, we had a, we had a, wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry, Cassie, a question just to, to, what is your feel? Too bad your, your friend is not there. Um, and, I, and I hope the reason your friend gave is, is not uh, a polite reason for not wanting to take the risk that you're, that you're describing. Um, and I'm not accusing of that. I'm just, that's just No, no, he, he had to work. Yeah, no, no, but, but it's possible. It's that possible. is, there's no question that maybe somewhere in those, yeah. you know. And, and, who, and who can blame it? A podcast is not worth it. So anyway, but my question is, what's your feel, and maybe what would his feel be if you could channel him? If the Palestinians were allowed to truly vote anonymously uh, for acceptance or rejection of a two-state solution along the lines of what Olmert offered Abbas, that doesn't have to be, you know, it could be tweaked, but basically along those lines, you think they would vote for it or against it, the, the, the occupied? I think they would vote for it. Okay. So if they would vote for it, um, then it seems to me that the real bottleneck is that Abbas, uh, let's, leave, let's leave Gaza even out of it, he's on the 15th year of a four-year term. And um, he won't stand. He would, I mean, if, if they had a free election, the, the candidate who who believes with what the majority or what you think the majority believes could run. He could win. A peace candidate could win. And then Sadat-like, come and make peace with Israel. And, and the, I, I, you know, the Israeli center, which is leaning logic, logic, overnight. Logic is not our strong point here on both sides. <laughs> yeah, but you agree, with, you agree with what I said. So all I'm saying is that... Um, a, a, there's a difference between our leaders and the people. And, um, and, uh, but there's a difference, but wait, wait, let me just stop you there, because there's one difference that, that is, that is, makes all the difference. Netanyahu, for better or worse, represents the will of the Israeli people. Abbas 
does not. And the, and the will, and, and, and they're related because Netanyahu represents the will of 50%. Yeah, but it's a, dem of a, of a, dem a democratic Israeli people. Well, I use that to mean a democratic will, the, the, the majority. Um, free and fair election. And, and, and the thing is that, as I'm sure you would agree, I mean, I know too many people for this to be anecdotal. Many of the people who lean right now lean right because they became disillusioned after having leaned very far left and answered with, you know, failure and intifadas. And, and many of these people, as my father did, would switch sides if they felt or if they saw a Palestinian leader who said, listen, we've had enough of this violence. We want our children to live with your children. We know we came before. Trust us, we, we want to end this and be ended forever. Like, you know, the kind of thing that Sadat said, there's so many, I'd say 30% of the, of the Israeli population is in, persuadable in that area. And then you'd see Netanyahu gone. I mean, he's already hanging by a thread. So I, I feel like it's all in their hands. And I don't say that hopefully with any stereotypes or a bigotry, because I agree with you. I think that the majority would want to make peace. I think they would. But, but you said in this show before, now when we argue, you said Palestinians don't want peace. And I said, it's, the problem is the leaders, not the people, you know. Uh, and you I, I'm ready to accept that. Yeah. When I said you have to give Abbas a certain degree of credit. He changed the, at least the rhetoric. And I think to some, to a very significant extent, he renounced violence. Hamas has not renounced violence, but Abbas has renounced violence. The problem is he doesn't have the balls to, um, to take it to the logical step forward. Then and he shouldn't be a leader. You know, that is, that's the problem. Yeah, that's you shouldn't be problem. a leader then. Have somebody who have the balls to do it. But on I think so, so, but, so, so, let me just say, so this, this comes to, what, what, what's, what's the, the guy from, uh, um, the guy we debate with on, on the emails all the time about the Israeli conflict, the, the British guy. Ben Anderson. Yeah, yeah, Ben. Um, sorry, Ben, if you're listening. Uh, and this comes to the, 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 the nub of my argument with him because he, he, Recites chapter and verse, Israeli abuses, Israeli arrogance, Israeli brutality. And I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to pretend that these things are, are false. Of course, any, any occupying nation is going to um, have multiple examples of abuse. America hasn't been any better, God knows. Uh, but nevertheless, despite all that, I don't hold, I don't think Israel's holding the key to settling this. I think that is squarely in Abbas's hands or the Palestinian leadership's hands. And until such time as they have the balls, as you say, to, to do it, this is going to continue indefinitely. Every, you, you can go from Netanyahu to the furthest left Israeli leader you want, and nothing fundamental is going to change. I don't By the way, they say there's only one prime minister who really had balls. And that was Golda Meir. <laughs> I, I was going to ask you that, by the way. Who is your favorite, you think, for the peace project, you know, uh, from all the prime ministers that you witnessed? I'm sorry, would you say that again? Uh, from from uh, all the prime ministers of Israel that you witnessed, who would be the best one to, that, to have peace? Barack Obama. Barack Obama. <laughs> <laughs> to make peace? You mean to make peace? Yeah, to make it. Well, first of all, uh, as you said, like fifty, uh, like Netanyahu is fifty percent people support him, but not not 
uh, Palestinians cannot vote. And here is how Israel is can make peace and can force Palestinians to make peace. Well, actually, Hatem, Hatem, actually, you know, your point is valid, but also another way to look at it is that he's at 50% even with all the Israeli Arabs voting, which means he's probably well above 50% among just the, the Jews in Israel, for whatever that's worth. But go ahead, continue. Probably true. By the way, I, I want you guys to know that I share something uh, with Abbas. You said that Abbas was elected, uh, whatever, 15 years ago for a four-year term. Ter four-year term, and he's still there. Well, I was, uh, I, I was elected 10 years ago uh, to represent this neighborhood uh, for a five-year term. <laughs> so you're I, in, I, a despot also. I, so, so, so just to be fair, Abbas being a leader for 15 years, that's little for Arabic worlds, you know? <laughs> I said, still baby, you know? <laughs> but, but, but here's what, why I always say Israel is responsible for there's no peace, because this is what they should do. One, destroy Hamas. We all know that Hamas is a terrorist organization that just like ISIS, just like a lot of things. Take them off. Hold wow. a fair election in Palestine to pick their leaders. Because Palestinians, you probably know, you know, they really want to move on. They want peace. They, they're willing to give up some stuff, but not everything. They want something. But if they have a right representative, like imagine if you both were representing both sides, like if Alisa was the Palestinian side and Dave was the Israeli side, we will have peace tomorrow, you know? But uh, the problem is like, we have old school leaders everywhere and Hamas is putting fear in people's heart. Hamas is out, Palestinians, uh, you know, uh, elect their leader, we're gonna have some good uh, peace. That doesn't mean we give up what they shouldn't give up, but, um, but uh, you know, I think we'll, well I, I think, uh, Hatam, I think I'd like I'd like you to make Aliyah and come be our prime minister. Right, <laughs> great. Who? I think there's a problem um, in comparing both sides. Um, it goes like this: uh, Israel has a lot of problems, but it is a democracy. Palestine isn't, and there are a lot of forces there, even if they're small forces, that are working very, very strongly against um, any leader or any uh, authoritative uh, position in, in renouncing violence or but that, that, in that, is, that is my point. They're not democracy because Hamas is in charge. You can't have but democracy. Hamas is not in charge in the West Bank and they have the same problem. Hamas is in charge in Aza and they're at, at the bottom of the barrel. But let's right? be honest, they are very influential. They're influential in Egypt. Look They're very influential, and they have representatives, even in Abu Tor, in our neighborhood, yeah. in Jerusalem. This is yeah. true. Yeah. This is true. But there is a lot of politics that's happening in a very tribal way, according to the clan you belong to, and who's threatening your clan, and who you're making uh, arrangements with, and all kinds of things like that, that have nothing to do with the bigger picture of who's going to be the leader, who's gonna um, make peace. And um, a Palestinian who lives in Abu Tor said to me, oh no, uh, somebody who works at the YMCA, uh, um, a Palestinian from another part of the city, he says, when I go to talk to the people in Abu Tor, there's about a hundred different po uh, political parties. And every time I come, every month, there are new ones and I don't know who I'm talking to. So it it's a very complicated, um, a situation compared to a more quote unquote Western uh, model of democracy or of leadership. So uh, it has to happen in a different way. It can't happen in a, um, a parallel way. 
you know, I don't. So, so, here, so here's an optimistic, or gives you an opportunity for an optimistic answer. What can Israel do, whatever it can do, to make, uh, to, to help the Palestinian people uh, move, move in the direction that you're speaking about? What, could, what, what To what extent is Israel responsible for, Palest for Palestinian uh, opposi being oppositional, and what could they do to make the a glide path easier for the majority of the Palestinians to be able to express their democratic will and finally come and make peace? There should be- I, I wish there was, I wish, I wish there was a situation where that could happen. Today, most Israeli leadership and most Israelis aren't interested uh, in promoting that. I'll, right. I'll, what could they I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, they, they would, they should um, unilaterally uh, declare a, a Marshall Plan to try to um, make a major um, uh, affirmative action in terms of uh, devoting significant resources to the development of infrastructure, schools, uh, sanitation, um, uh, roads, um, a, a smart uh, phone, uh, you know, uh, wiring, um, and uh, and 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 say we recognize that there has been um, uh, inequality and discrimination in terms of the the uh, allocation of resources because we the Jews are the majority and we, the Jews, have taken care of our people first. But now we realize that if we want to have a peaceful future with the people who live in our country, the Israeli Arabs who we also can call Palestinians, and the Palestinians who live in East Jerusalem, who are probably going to remain within the jurisdiction of Israel uh, in whatever um, uh, type of solution there is. So we, the ones with the power, we, the ones with the resources, now need to make a major improvement in the quality of life. That's what I think needs to happen. And a right-wing government would be smart to do that. And as just as a left-wing government would be smart to do that. But as long as I'm talking, I want to say that Noam and Hatem, I'm very disappointed in both of you. You told us that this was a comedy, a comedy program. <laughs> You've been so serious that, that there's that there there is a big problem here, and I think that that's the other solution to this conflict. There needs to be more humor. Yeah. I learned in Arabic, companies say you know Arabic, you probably won't understand a word of what I say <laughs> now in Arabic. I'm gonna tell a joke in Arabic that has been the icebreaker for me. And, and if humor is the beginning of being able to open uh, barriers, then I think we all should learn to become stand-up comedians. Yeah. Here's, here it is, I'm gonna translate it. A guy walks into a store uh, that sells pets. Al Sahib Lamachawan says to the uh, store owner, I want to buy a dog. What kind of dog do you want? I have a big dog, I have a little dog. 
a day she'll cobble kabir and the man says how much is the the uh, the big dog and he says a hundred shekels that's reasonable why they shall cobble how much is the little dog he says 200 shekels 200 shekels why is the kalba kabir 100 and the kalba zrir 200 and the guy says that owns the store he says El Kalbu Kamir Baskal, the big dog is just a plain dog. El Kalbu Zrir Kalbibin Kalb, the little dog is a son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> that joke has enabled me to do what I've done in the past. Yeah, that, mm. there's a lot of uh, comedians that, Palestinian comedians that I know that tour uh, all over Israel, you know. Uh, in both in both sides, you know, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I I think I'm I'm always optimistic about the future, and 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 one of the reasons that we really you know loved having you in the show because we don't have somebody from there, you know, that actually uh, Karen doesn't count and Norm doesn't count really, no. but uh, <laughs> but uh, you know that that seen both sides because I always argue that you know average Palestinians they don't want violence. You know, they, they want to live. They want their kids to be, uh, grow up and stuff like that. Maybe some radicals don't, but, you know, but I think the majority do. Am I right? Can right. I ask you something? Yeah. What, do, you, do you see yourselves scaling your project to like a citywide or like a municipal or national level? Like, do you think you could do it in schools? Like, what's your plan for this? Lisa, I think you can answer that. I don't think we have a plan to scale it, but we like to be in the position of modeling and mentoring other groups. For example, there's a group now in Jerusalem that I initiated, um, which is a forum for different organizations in Jerusalem that are teaching Hebrew and Arabic, but not as language academies, but rather to bring um, greater understanding and social meeting and communication between the two sides. And this is something that Jerusalem really needs and wants. Um, um, I don't know, there, there are people in Israel who never meet somebody who's an Arabic speaker, but in Jerusalem- no, but we, have, we, we have been um, looked at as a model. We right. think we are a model for neighborhoods on the Jerusalem but, scene. But we're not doing it, Karen. We're not, we're not expanding our project. We have people coming to our project from other neighborhoods in Jerusalem, but that's not our uh, goal. Our goal is for there to be other initiatives set up with the same um, atmosphere, with the same goals, with the same openness, with the same um, opportunity for people with different backgrounds to come together. I mean, we have uh, very religious people from both sides in our project. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's not it's not I just moderate Palestinians and liberal Israelis. There are, you know, women with hijabs and there are women with religious Jewish hair cover. And there are people who go to Al-Aqsa every Friday. And there are people who keep Shabbat. And there are people with mini skirts on both sides. It's a very, very pluralistic kind of atmosphere. It's not just a liberal Kumbaya people. <laughs> can, can I just, can I say, I'm sorry, I hope, I hope you didn't take the kumbaya as, a, as an insult. I didn't mean it as an insult. I meant, 
<laughs> fondly as a certain kind of type of attitude that I remember, you know, from when I was a kid. I'm, I'm born 62, actually, David. I'm, so I, 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 I do not. By the way, just, just as an aside, when I was a little boy in the early 70s, maybe even late 60s, you know, when my grandparents moved to Israel, to, uh, to, to have a long-distance phone call to Israel right. <laughs> required scheduling. It was very, very, very expensive. Right. $50 a minute by today. Who knows, right? And sometimes it would work. Sometimes it wouldn't. You'd have to scream. And look at what we're doing today yeah. as images are being bounced off satellites rotating the earth at 15,000 miles per second. But I mean, it's just, it, we, we can lose sight of just how remarkable the progress of, I mean, it's just amazing when you think about what we're doing and maybe in all that will unlock the, <laughs> the, 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 the um, explosion, the inability to, to contain information and communication and all that and dialogue really maybe yeah. that something will blossom that will will move this thing you know I, I think this is this is the first time i call someone in israel except when i'm activating my spies but other than that <laughs> <laughs> i really i really talk but i want to tell you a story uh, uh, to dave's point when you when you're doing a facebook and you want to take a picture and you have to ask the people if they want to be in the picture uh, here at the comedy cellar um, Norm's uh, own uh, and many before him, which is his dad. We had a manager called Hassan, Egyptian manager. He was managing the place for like 15 years or whatever. And he was going back to Egypt to Manny throw him a big party. And there's a lot of people and Hassan was on the stage and Manny told him to do the victory sign and he was doing the victory sign. And without him knowing, he dropped the Israeli flag behind him. <laughs> took, a <picture. laughs> took a picture and Hassan freaked out. <laughs> Talking about a guy that lived 25 years in the United States. It was just a picture of this right of like man. Many tell him what thank you for working for the Mossad all these years. <laughs> Wait, I wanted to make a point. Many of the people uh, the people who don't want their pictures or their names are Palestinian people. And many of them are women who are not doing it because of reasons of politics, but of reasons of modesty. That these women do not appear on Facebook with their face. On Facebook, they have a picture of a cat or yeah. one of their kids, right? I think that's, they, that's a problem. If we change Facebook to iBook, we'll, we'll be, everybody will be there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't have too many palettes. Whoops, what happened? I'm sharing my screen. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't have too many Palestinian friends who wear a niqab. I have a lot of Palestinian friends who wear a hijab. A niqab is much uh, less uh, uh, frequent in Abu Tor. So we're not talking about that. We're just talking about people, women particularly, and young women mostly, who uh, are not used to having their picture or their face in public. It's not considered appropriate. Um, if they're young, it might ruin their possibility for getting a good match, right? They're all married by uh, matchmaking and by uh, the parents agreeing. And, you know, like we used to do in the Jewish society, like my great-grandparents were married that way. So, uh, oh, I see David had put up a film. I don't know if you want to watch this now or not. Uh, so, most people actually listen more than watch, but... Um... Okay. But right. for those for those who's uh, listening, it's a video of the good neighbor. Well, you, you can see you can see the thing, and, and uh, people should go go online and okay. and and watch it. There she is. Hi. 
so, so, so I, I want to ask you something. Uh, now, we talk a lot about the good things that happen. Did you have any problems from either both sides, somebody, you know, against your work from Israeli or Palestinians and come and talk to you like, this is not a solution? Well, I'd say that one of the biggest problems we've had was with the uh, community council of the Palestinian side of Abu Tor. Um, they're in a position where, uh, what happens is, is Jerusalem is divided into community councils and they're in a different community council than we are in, even though we share some of the same streets. And we were very interested in working with the community council and for a while, it worked and then it didn't work and then there was a new director and there are a lot of internal politics in the Palestinian side of Abu Tor, for instance, some of the rooms in their community center were burned by an opposition group. So a lot of it doesn't have to do with us so much. It has to do with internal things that are going on and people trying to show that they're um, more devoted or more Palestinian or more in charge or stronger or whatever by trying to force their views on other people. So we um, started out by just working directly with neighbors because we're, we're just neighbors and we were working with neighbors as a grassroots organization. As we got well known, we started interacting, interacting with the people in the community council. Uh, for a while, we worked together cooperating with them, and then we were told that they don't mind being in touch with us, but they can't openly uh, work with us. And this has been a, a big problem because we really feel that we could offer services to the Palestinian population through the project that um, people would really benefit for, from, for example, regarding employment regarding um, after-school activities for children, things that really aren't available. Um, but but, but should, they, should they really need help with these? Isn't these should be there for them? Like, why did they no, need they help? Aren't. They aren't. The, Pal the, the Palestinians in Abu Tor, um, there's a 40% um, uh, poverty rate there. There's a lot of problems with drugs and crime. Um, there, there are multiple problems there and the community center and the community council um, have their hands full. There are children at risk, there are elderly, they really have, have their hands full and, and our community council is a much more senior one. It's, it's been around, theirs is very new, ours has been around for years, it's well funded, it's well run, it's much more professional. I even uh, brought together the directors of the two councils and the Palestinian council was eager to use the experience of the Jewish council to learn and become um, what is more that? Uh, This is the time of weddings, you know, in the summer. They think the war has broken out. But actually, Simantovu, Mazel Tovu, This is how Israel did it, you, know, you know, this is so exciting. Can we tell our audience that this is why? Uh, uh, so, you know what I like? That we, have, we have Jewish and Muslim in one place, yet you both work with the YMCA. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's another. There's another thing. People say, you know, where are you from? And I say, I grew up in Bethlehem. 
And they look at me and they say, what, Christian Arab? What? Then I say, Pennsylvania. (laughs) (laughs) I came from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And we had a neighbor down the street who was uh, in charge of security for the U.S. Embassy. And he came from Texas, from Palestine, Texas. (laughs) Yeah. Hot time, I have to go. Um, but I, 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 I really enjoyed this. I think you guys are doing you're terrific people and doing terrific work. And um, f- frankly, you, you, you're, you're on, the, on the left side of certain things, but, but still with a kind of common sense and, uh, uh, and, and, and honesty, actually, about the situation, which I really admire. So um, I, I'm really happy to have met you, and I, I wish we could help you in some way. But well, I, I, can, I, can, I can think of some ways, Noam, and I'd like to be in touch with you afterwards. Sure, Hatsum, Hatsum will give you my email address. Yeah, I'll, I'll arrange that. Uh, and maybe uh, you send the comedians there or something. Just make sure I, send the, I want to send the package with them as well. <laughs> okay, I'll see you guys later. Bye. Nice to meet you all. Thank you for your question, Noam. Thank you, Noam. My Lord. Cool. <laughs> okay, and now that now no, no, that no, Noam is gone, wait, I have an offer for Karen. I just okay. want to say one, one, one thing uh, uh, before you say, um, now that Noam is gone, I want to introduce the real identity. Thank you, Mohammed and Suad for pretending. <laughs> oh, you saved that one up all day. <laughs> no, just know that. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Karen, yeah. I have a uh, single 39-year-old son. Okay. Who works for the Mobile Line. Very nice. <laughs> Good job. Come back to Israel. Come back to Israel. Okay. And we'll set you up. All right. Show me a picture. Let's have a conversation. <laughs> My parents would absolutely freak out in the best way. <laughs> what do you do in your life, Karen? What do I do with my life? What do you do in your life? You're a comedian. Do? I'm a comedian. I'm a writer. I'm a broadcaster. Wow, wow. Work, yeah. Uh-huh. Great. Yeah. Is that is that good good enough for your family? Oh, I wasn't <laughs> talking about that. I was just interested in uh, where you're coming from. <laughs> with my family, no. Yeah, I do I do creative work. I'm a writer. I'm I'm into the shit vibe that we've got going on now. <laughs> where do you live? I live in Williamsburg in New York. Williamsburg, oh my my great grandfather used to live in Williamsburg. Really? Yeah. <laughs> he was like a really religious yeshiva kind. Yeah. You know? There's parts of Williamsburg that's like that still, but uh, you know, I'm in it. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in the Hasidic part of Williamsburg. I know. Uh, I know. And I'm no, so no, my great grandfather was anti-Hasidic. <laughs> if somebody sang a Hasidic song at his Friday night table, he would get up and leave the room. <laughs> oh, your son? What? Who would? Who would leave the room? My great-grandfather was so anti, he was a very religious Jew, but he was anti-Hasidic. He was a Litvak. And if somebody would sing a Hasidic song at the Friday night dinner table, he would get up and leave the room. Wow. Uh, So speaking speaking of dating and magic and stuff like that, is there... Yeah, what about you, Adam? Wait, 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 wait. What about you? We have some nice women here for you, too. You you ruined it for me with with Karen, now that your son is is in the competition. (laughs) And we have a daughter, too. There you go. (laughs) If you touch her, get your head off. I I was going to ask you about dating in in Israel. Like, is there any, 
multi like Palestinian Israeli dating together or very marriage? little. Very, very little. little. Huh? I've known of some, but very little. Yeah. Bad. There's a famous couple, uh, Palestinian um, Jewish couple, you know, uh, Lucy and Sachi, you know about them? Mm -hmm. Ah, you should check them out. They're both like celebs from um, media. He, he was one of the actors in Fauda. And uh, which one? Had, uh, Tzachi Halevi. No, which one in Fauda was he? Which one? I don't remember the names. I didn't look at it that closely, but he was the one who sang in one of the episodes um, with a guitar, remember? One yeah. Of I, I that was him, yeah. I, that, that, so that was his, a, yeah. Go ahead. His wife, Lucy, also has a radio show and a TV show that she presents. They're a famous mixed couple, but it's very rare, very, very, yeah. very rare. Yeah, I, th I think- Also, this, um, there's this uh, village outside of Jerusalem called Neve Shalom. It's an intentional community of uh, Jews and Palestinians who, who, who live together in the same community. But even there, there are very few um, mixed couples or mixed families. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, uh, I think it also has a religious uh, thing I th there. I think yeah. so. That's about religion more than anything else, you know. Because I know um, Palestinians who won't let their kids marry Christian Palestinians, right? Yeah, Never mind correct. Jews, but yeah. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, correct. Well, guys, uh, thank you so much. This was great having you. And uh, I hope you continue doing the good work. Uh, and I hope both sides get um, to have peace and live, you know, like like everybody. Uh, just before, before before I end everything, I just want to know what's up with COVID uh, in Israel. Uh, how are you guys Pretty doing? Pretty bad. Right? Pretty bad. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, we, we had it under control after what they call the first wave. Oh, and no. then the second wave just... <laughs> blossomed and really? there's a lot of COVID particularly in the ultra-orthodox community here as well because of their lifestyle yeah. uh, there are whole cities that are mostly ultra-orthodox that they um, have the highest rates of COVID in Israel wow. but the latest thing to talk about in Israel is the United Arab Emirates I know that was that was a great uh, step and and I just say, rest in peace, Sadat, because he saw that years ago. And if everybody followed his lead back then, you know, it would have been, uh, I, th I think that's a smart way because if Israel have friends in the Arabic world uh, and, and relationship, Israeli government will be very careful about what they do because they can lose their friends. But if right. they don't have any friends, they, they can do whatever they want. So I think that's a very, uh, very good step towards, um, you know, uh, peace. So, I think that was Jared Kushner's idea, as much as I like to make fun of him. I think that was actually his idea. I, I don't think it was his idea because under the table, um, you know, work between you, uh, United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia and Israel, it's been for years, you know. Right, it has the, been for years. It has been. The, it just, just what, what I think what made it more now than then is the Iranian influence in the area became right. very, very right. so right. yeah. I just don't like to give Jared Kushner. I don't want to give Kushner any. Very clear. If you look at the map, it's very clear what that relationship is and why Israel would want to be in the United Emirates yeah, across the yeah. border from Iran. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, I th I believe Saudi Arabia is going to be there soon uh, as well as as the rest of the world. And and as I said, I just hope that everybody 
get to work. There's a lot of, you know, pain in both sides, you know, and uh, I think I'm a favor of two state solution and I hope everybody gets their country and, and live in peace and then we'll take it from there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, thank you so much. If you want to share your information or anything, people can follow you or watch. Uh, at least I'll start with you. Sorry? You want to share your information like Instagram or Facebook or anything that you oh, want to- so We have um, a very active Facebook page, um, Good Neighbors Abu Tor, and we have a similar Instagram, Good Neighbors Abu Tor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, Dave? And excuse me in the uh, facebook you could find an email if you want to contact us or you could just con people can contact us uh, through the messaging of facebook or through instagram we're available yeah i uh i think i'll i'll, I'll now reveal my um true personality uh -oh. my profession, my profession <laughs> is uh fundraising for nonprofit organizations mm -hmm. we are a nonprofit organization um, the Community Council of Greater Baca, and um, a, we will find a way to have all your listeners uh, uh, figure out how to make a contribution if you want. In, in particular, we're interested in uh, being in touch with foundations who have significant amounts of money and want to make an impact. And uh, we believe that that is what we are doing. Um, I uh, am the son of two social workers. My parents were both caseworkers, one by one. I said, I am going to revolt. I will not do one by one. I'm going to change the world. And so I became a community organizer, social planner, social worker. <laughs> uh, and, um, and I do indeed believe that what we are doing is having a systematic uh, effect and uh, we're looking for partners everywhere so thank you for giving us the opportunity to tell yeah, thank you so you guys are doing a, gr a great uh, a great job and uh if, if anybody listening or uh, um watching please um go to the we'll have the information also in the description of this episode uh karen um, you can reach me, Karen Margolis, on everything, K-E-R-E-N-M-A-R-G-O-L-I-S, and listen to Race Wars podcast that I host with Sherrod Small, iconic Sherrod, and um, I am a new third chair on a really, really awesome podcast called Two Black Guys with Good Credit. It's Two Black Guys Who've Got Amazing Credit, <laughs> and it's a finance podcast. It's for lay people. It's so, so good. Um, really? show. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm always the white Jew <laughs> where I go. I'm just like, so I'm happy to be a token and, uh, my show nerdgasm on compound media We're figuring out how to do it on zoom. So we're going to green screen that, um, soon and yeah. And if, some, and if their son want to contact you, how can he reach you? Well, I was going to say, <laughs> uh, it's really nice meeting my future in-laws. <laughs> um, you guys can get my personal email from Hatem and, um, and we'll maybe do like a little picture shit. Okay. <laughs> married off. My parents will actually hit the floor. They're going to be so, so thrilled. Where, guys, where, do they, where do they live? They live in Philadelphia. You guys are going to love each other. Yeah. All right, well, guys. Philadelphia. Yeah. Right. Go Phillies. Go Eagles. Right. Go Eagles. Six 
Niners, whatever. Sixers. <laughs> And, 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 and who knows, maybe one day we'll do a comedy show there, you know, and, uh, and donate the profits to, uh, to your organization. Actually, what interesting is, what's interesting is Philadelphia has a team in the uh, soccer, the, the National Soccer League, um, the Philadelphia Union. And a, a kid, um, they heard about our project and... Uh, he he uh, came to Israel, and he's a soccer player, and we brought him to the soccer team, and he played with our soccer team, and they got their, their season holder, ticket holders to the Philadelphia Union. And on October 17, 2018, there was a game that, uh, a, a, that $5 of every ticket was contributed to the Good Neighbors Project. That's, this that's, was his bar mitzvah project. He was a little boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's, that, that, that's amazing. I'm sure a lot of people uh, would love to help and participate. Well, guys, stay safe. Keep doing what you're doing. And okay, thank, thank you very, very much, much. Uh, for coming. A pleasure to meet both of you. Thank Shalom. you.